Friends, let's open in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. We're in Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 14. I kind of joked when we started this chapter that if I could pick my least favorite chapter in the book of Ephesians, it would be chapter 3. And I kind of mean that for the first half of this chapter, but verse 14 onward changes absolutely everything. It redeems chapter 3 to be some of our favorite chapter in this book. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, hear now God's word. The the entire sermon is about the difference between hearing and knowing this in our minds and receiving and believing this in our hearts. So even as I read this, pray, God, let me feel this in my heart. Let me know this in the core of my being. I'm going to read it. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come into your presence this morning with all humility Because you've just reminded us from your word that of all the things in the Christian life we can fake, all the things in the Christian life we can muster our personal gifts to give the appearance of doing your work, this is one thing we have no hope to do outside of the miraculous work of your spirit through your son And that is to absorb, to enjoy, to rejoice, and to walk in the perfect, indescribable, incomprehensible love of the Lord Jesus Christ. None of us can fake that. Would you take this word through our ears and our minds and plant it so deep in our hearts that we feel and receive and bank our lives on this kind of love. We ask that you would do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here's the the trick. Here's the rub about the Advent season. The message of Christmas is so incredibly simple that we've dedicated ourselves to teaching our kids zero through first grade, the message of Christmas. That's what we do every single week. And it's so easy that even they, even from the earliest age, two and three and four years old, can understand and recite back to us that God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him, they're not going to perish, but they're going to have everlasting life. That's the message we preach, and that's the message even our children can understand from John 3.16. If we had a pop quiz this morning on that verse, I think everybody would pass that quiz. If I asked you who so loved the world, you would, I hope, say back to me, God. 
What did he do? God sent his son. How do we respond? We respond by faith. We believe in what God has done in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what does God give those who hear and respond in faith? He gives the gift of eternal life, which starts today in the life of a believer. Very simple. Four for four, 100%, A plus, everybody would get this pop quiz, no problem. That's not the issue Paul has when he approaches the church in Ephesus. It's not knowing in our minds that God so loved the world that he sent his son. It is knowing and feeling in our hearts that God so loved the world that he sent his son. Sometimes we joke that the greatest distance in the world is actually between a person's head and their heart. It's only 18 inches, but that is an enormous distance to cover between these two things, between knowing something and knowing something. I love how Paul says it in verse 19 when he says, he prays that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I want you guys to know something that cannot possibly physically, cerebrally be made known. What he is saying is, I want you to know in your hearts, I want you to feel in your hearts what you clearly already know and understand in your head. I'm not interested in you passing a pop quiz on John 3.16 and what God has done on behalf of the world. Anybody can do that. An atheist can do that. My concern, Paul says and prays, is that you would be filled with the fullness of God. We're not done here until you feel the fullness of God in your heart and in your life. Now, hang on a second. Before you kind of imagine yourself rolling out of bed this Advent season, late for work, flipping open your Bible to a random page, skimming what's there between mouthfuls of Pop-Tarts, and expecting through that to know what Paul says cannot be known, I want you to hang on just a minute as you get ready to approach Advent. Think of all the obstacles that stand between us and receiving and enjoying God's love. Here's us. Here's feeling the love of God. Imagine the obstacles that stand between those two things. They are real. They are deadly. They are supernatural. And they undo us every single day of the week. Now I just that, sat and thought and made a, a brief list. I came up with six obstacles that stand between us and really feeling and experiencing the love of God. I'm sure as you sit here, you could think of six more. But if any one of these six is true of you, you are going to have a supernatural problem with opening up your heart to receive God's love. So listen to these six carefully and see What might the obstacle be in my heart to receive and enjoy God's love? Number one, if the devil really does exist, and if he catches wind that you are enjoying anything at all about your Christian life, he swears to God 
He will come to steal and kill and destroy. If the devil exists, it's going to be very, very hard to receive the love of God. Number two, if we have had a hard home life, whether that is past or present, we will have trouble receiving God's love. We will always confuse and confound our heavenly father with our earthly father or uncle or mother. If we've experienced that, it's going to be very hard. Number three, if we are an emotionally stunted person, there's a bunch of us here who are emotionally stunted. We don't cry. We don't use terms of affection. We never heard them. We don't use them. We aren't in touch with our feelings. If that's happening in the feeling world of our lives, how difficult will it be to turn around and with our hearts receive affection that our Father freely offers to us? Number four, if we've been wounded by someone and we have put up walls to protect ourselves so that that will never happen to us again, will never be taken advantage of again, it will be very difficult to know when to let down those walls to receive God's love. Number five, and this is a biggie, if we don't avail ourselves to the means of grace... God says, look, there are clear channels where I deliver my love through my word, through prayer, through the church and fellowship with other believers. These are the natural means I I deliver my love to you. And if we've become the kind of person who doesn't do these things, we don't pray, we don't open our Bibles, we don't avail ourselves to the church, we're actually looking for God to deliver his affections in a way that he doesn't normally do. It's going to be very difficult for us to receive and enjoy the love of Christ. And number six, finally, these are just the six I thought of. If we are nursing sin in our lives, every one of us is a sinner, but you know what I mean. If we are nursing unconfessed, unrepented of sin, there's an area of our lives that we are clinging to, that Jesus has clearly said to us, cut off your hand, gouge out your eye, throw it away from you, and then come and follow me. And if we've said in our hearts, I wonder if I can do both. Like, I wonder if I can protect this thing and keep this thing and and try to control this thing and confess this thing whenever I do it, but but then also open myself fully to the love of Christ. I, I wonder if I can do both of those things. And the simple answer from the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Ephesians is no. You can't do that. If any one of these things is true of us, and some of us have rattled off four or five or six of these things, then what we're doing is a supernatural effort. I have little doubt that if we all pay attention the next several minutes in this sermon, and especially if we take notes, and especially if we're smart people, we are going to get what Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 3. I have no doubt that we will understand this with our minds. But whether those words from Ephesians make it the next 18 inches, like from our brains to our hearts, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that I'm not so sure. That's not something we can guarantee. It's no wonder when Paul is faced with this, with the church that he loves in Ephesus, he resorts to prayer. He gets on his knees 
and praise. If this is going to happen, it is going to be a supernatural work of the triune God deep within our inner beings. Now, because that's true, that's exactly what we're going to do. I'm going to stop my sermon early, finish the talking, and then for the last part of the sermon, I'm just going to get on my knees and pray. Because there are certain things, like receiving God's love, that can't be delivered any other way. Talking won't do, only prayer. So let me talk for a few minutes, and then we're going to pray. The reason we're talking right now from Ephesians is just to remind ourselves, what exactly are we praying for? If these are the obstacles, if this is the difficulty, what exactly are we going to pray for? And Paul, this is one of the many places that he shares with us and the people that he prays for. This is exactly what I'm praying. I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to pray this. Now, we know that Paul loves complex subclause filled run-on sentences. I mean, if you're at home reading Paul and you see commas and dashes and clauses that hang out independently of the main idea and you begin to get frustrated, welcome to the club. I'm there with you. The Apostle Peter said, when I read Paul, I sometimes get confused. You're in good company. I'm going to take what Paul says in this paragraph, and I'm just going to say it, if I could say it in my own words, in just one sentence. This is exactly what I'm praying for. I'm asking God that the Spirit would make us strong enough to grasp Jesus' love so that we will mature in Him. That's the main idea. I'm asking God that He'll send His Holy Spirit to make us strong enough so that we can grasp Jesus' love so that we will mature in him. That's, that's the prayer in a nutshell. I want to take just very briefly each of those phrases to heart. He starts by saying, I'm asking God. I love this. The Apostle Paul, he sees a deficiency in a fellow believer. He sees something that's missing in their lives. We see something that concerns us, and we might be tempted to hand somebody a book, or to start a church-wide program, or to begin a new sermon series. And that's all well and good, but what if it is our knee-jerk reaction to begin with prayer? That's what Paul does, and he says in verse 14, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father according to the riches of his glory. God is rich. I am poor. I'm going to take this thing and ask him for it. He's got everything. And I'm going to ask that he gives this to me and to the church. He says, I'm asking God that the Spirit would make us strong enough. He says in verse 16, that we may be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. He says again in verse 18, that we may have strength to comprehend. Now that's a little odd to me, because I thought we were talking about the warm and fuzzy feelings of God's love in our heart. Why does Paul keep asking for strength when the topic of conversation is love? And the answer is, getting God's love is not for the faint of heart. 
Did you just hear all the supernatural obstacles that stood between us and getting God's love? For God to take his love and deliver it to our hearts, he needs to crush the devil, redeem our families, make us vulnerable, heal our wounds, reconnect us to the church, expose our sin, and that is just the beginning of this project. We desperately need strength and courage to get and receive and hold on to the love of Christ for us. I've got a project in my backyard. I'm building, I guess, kind of like a workshop planting shed. And the idea is that once it's up and running, I'll plant microgreens in there. I'll plant seedlings. They'll be ready for the spring for my garden. And so the whole thing is put together. And I finally, just in the last couple of weeks, rigged up a gutter system. So uh, I'm collecting rain that comes off the roof, and all of that is going to go to a rain barrel, and then all of that is going to feed a sink, and so I'll have water out there to water the plants, and perfect system, ready to go. So I put up the gutters, and then a neighbor gave me a rain barrel, and I kind of slapped together some two-by-fours. I wanted to kind of see what the whole thing platform would look like and, and where the gutter was going to feed into the rain barrel. So I put it kind of together, not how I totally wanted it, but just kind of a makeshift platform, put the rain barrel up, fit perfectly. And then I thought, you know, I'll come back and reinforce this thing. And I forgot about it. And I went away, and a couple of days later, we got several days of rain like we did this weekend. And Then I remembered my rain barrel out back standing on two by fours. And when I went back behind the workshop, I saw that the rain barrel was completely full. And the entire structure was like bending and bowing. It hadn't broken yet, but it was literally the the braces for it were bending inward. And it looked like it was about to pull the plywood off the side of my shed. I mean, it was bad news. And I did a little bit of math, and I learned that one gallon of water weighs 8.34 pounds. I didn't know that. I hadn't thought about that. And it's a 55-gallon barrel, which 55 times 8.34 is 459 pounds. That's like three of me sitting on top of there. And I just wasn't ready for that at all. And, I mean, much to the chagrin of the engineers in here, I left it there. I left the water in it. And then I just added more wood. I just like went around and kind of shimmed it up. And, and so now it looks, looks pretty decent. That is a perfect illustration for what Paul is picturing is happening here. Getting God's love is not for the faint of heart. It is not for hastily slapped together inner beings. Natural hearts among whom the devil is having a field day, among whom struggle to give and receive affection, among whom are guarding themselves from from being wounded again, among whom are not being exercised in the means of grace, of prayer and the Bible and fellowship with the church, those kind of weak inner beings are not ready for the floodgates of the love of Christ. Paul is begging, Christ, we are not ready for this. Send your spirit afresh. 
reinforce what we have in our hearts. Do your work so that when your love, the length and breadth and height and width of it comes, we are ready to receive it and hold it and enjoy it for what it is. He says, I'm asking God that the Spirit would make us strong enough to grasp Jesus' love. That's what he means by comprehend, to grasp it. Verses 18 and 19. Strength to grasp what is the breadth, length, height, depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Christian, this is what we're after reinforced hearts that can bear the weight of a rain barrel overflowing with the love of God. That the facts of the gospel that we've learned and remembered from chapters 1 through 3 would move from our minds to our hearts that we would find our identity our value, our satisfaction, our pleasure, our joy in God's fatherly love for us. When this happens, when those waters flow, when it begins to fill this region of our lives that's been reinforced by the Holy Spirit, Paul says in verse 19, we are filled with the fullness of God. We become godlike. We start to look like God and think like God and feel like God. He's going to go on to say in chapter 5, verse 1, we're going to become imitators of God because out of the depths of our hearts, out of the good treasure in our lives, the mouth speaks. We become mature in the person of God. That's what we're after. That's what we want. Well, I've spent enough time talking. We're going to spend our remaining time praying. Paul says that when he does this, he tells us in this instance that he actually gets on his knees to pray. And the Bible has a bunch of different postures for prayer. Some people like Ezekiel, they just lay flat out on the grass. Some people like Paul in an instant like this, he kneels. There there are many postures of prayer. Slouching is not one of them. But it shows humility. It shows that we're going to get something that we don't ourselves have. You know, Jesus' brother James had a beautiful reputation in the early church. People whispered about James that he had knees like a camel. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever seen a camel's knees? They are disgusting. But they are well worn from leaning on them. And that's the reputation of Jesus' brother. He spent a lot of times on his knees. So when we pray, I'm actually going to kneel behind the pulpit. We need less of me. We need more of the Father. I'm going to be on my knees. And I invite you now during this time of prayer to to get in a posture that spells humility. For some of you, that means actually leaning on concrete. You're going to turn around at your seat and you're going to kneel and you're going to put your arms on the seat. For some of you, that means just bowing your head and closing your eyes. Whatever spells humility in your posture, please do that. And I'm going to spend a few minutes asking for a miracle. I'm going to do exactly what Paul did. We've done the talking. We've done the understanding. We could walk out of here and we might be able to recite the points of this sermon. But if this thing doesn't move from our head to our hearts, 
We don't taste the love of Christ, and we don't walk in the fullness of God. So Christians, would you join me at this point? Get in a posture that spells humility, and I'm going to kneel, and I'm going to pray for this church body. Father, this is a perfect day to be on our knees before you. Because you say your word goes out like rain to water the earth and it will not come back to you void. I pray even in these moments that we kneel in your presence and hear the rain falling on this campus, that we would sense it is your word watering our souls to bring up new life. God, you are our Heavenly Father. You are affectionate, you are kind, you are loving, you adopt us into our, your family, that we might be sons and daughters, that your spirit might work in our hearts, that we would turn around and cry out to you, Abba, Father. We can run to you with these very things, and you will kneel with the affection of a father to hear us and to respond to what we pray. Father, you are rich in glory. You you are glorious. You have all splendor and majesty. All is yours. And when we go to ask, we know we ask out of your surplus and out of your fullness that you will do for us what you are already rich to do in and of yourself. You have authority over every family of the earth. You have placed us where we are. You write the stories of our own families. And it's to you we come and pray these very things. Oh, Heavenly Father, send your Holy Spirit afresh. He lives in us. He dwells in us. You've filled us if we are believers in Christ and we know that he is near to us. But we ask for another measure of your Holy Spirit. We confess to you this morning that we are weak. We are scared. We are dogged by Satan and by sin. We, we feel like the Apostle Peter when you first approached him on the beach and he said, get away from me, I'm a sinner. We feel that in our hearts, Lord. It's hard to be a person who is fully and intimately and deeply known and yet loved by you. We're afraid of that. Would your Holy Spirit make our hearts ready to receive your love? We can't do this on our own. We've never seen it perfectly in a single human relationship. We've, we've tasted it, but we've never seen it. Would you do something in us we can't do for ourselves? And that is to throw open the gates of our hearts to receive your love. Give us courage. Let us grasp Jesus' love. It is wild and it is free. It's rich. It is unconditional. It's new and it's fresh every single morning. It lasts forever. It cannot be diminished no matter what we say or do or think. No matter how poorly we pray right now for your love and walk out from here and forget to attend ourselves to the Advent season. No matter how much we fumble the means of grace that you give us and we can Continue to pat our unconfessed sin in our hearts. Your love is wild and free and unconditional. And it's unlike anything we could possibly know.
Would you fill us? Would you warm us? Would we taste the depths of your love? Would we experience it? Would it animate everything we do? Lord, I pray we could test your love in this, that when we turn around and love our spouses and our kids and our roommates and our friends, that it would be out of the overflow of the love that you first give us. We are fully known and we are fully loved. Father, when you do this in us, when you tear away sin and fear and pride and insecurity and you replace it by a spiritually reinforced heart and you begin to fill us with the very love of Christ deep within our hearts, I pray that we would mature in God. Would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, fill this church with the fullness of God? Grow our church body into full maturity. Would we be a body, we're going to hear in chapter 4, that gets love and speaks truth in love? We are a temple. We are built on the cornerstone of Christ. Each member is a brick that is fashioned into this temple that will be a dwelling place for God. I pray that along with 1 Corinthians, when an unbeliever walks into our midst and sees the worship and the confession and the assurance of forgiveness and sitting in our life groups and taking the Lord's Supper, they will leave and say, God is in that place. He is. He dwells in our hearts and He dwells in this church body. Change us, transform us, make us into the image of Your Son because You will fill us with the fullness of God. I trust You will take this from our minds and plant it in our hearts. We ask in faith in Jesus' name. Amen.